Welcome. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is the Man Talk Show, training for men and answers for women. Uh, today on the show, we're going to talk about a little bit of a different subject that I have seen really sort of running rampant in recent events, and it's, uh, it's something that I've wanted to talk about for a while, which is the dangerous rise of social shaming. You know, I wanted to talk about this because as I have uh, watch some of the current events unfold, and I've watched the commentary in media, in on social media platforms like YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. Um, I've noticed that more and more social shaming is being used as a tool of conformity, and social media is really being used as a as a a means of trying to get individuals, platforms. Uh, groups, organizations, companies to conform to a very specific narrative or dogma. And here's here's the deal. Shame is a very interesting emotion, right? Uh, shame is is not only a repressive emotion, but shame is one of the one of the emotions that we as human beings have historically and evolutionarily evolved to try and avoid the most. Right. So shame is one of those things that we just do not want to experience at all. End of story, period. Like if I gave you the option of just never experiencing shame again, you you probably take it in a heartbeat. Right. Most of us don't enjoy it. And, you know, some cultures have gone so far as to evolve systems and expectations and rules uh, and sometimes even laws uh, to avoid feeling or experiencing or seeing shame. So like, for example, in Japan, uh, it was very common for for men who were samurai, if they failed their master, or if they brought shame upon their house, uh, or if they brought shame upon uh, their, their families, or if they failed a mission, it was very common for that samurai or that warrior to actually embark on a, a, a journey of sorts, uh, or a ritual, I guess, is a much better way of putting it, a ritual of what was called uh, seppuku, or harikari, harikiri. And this literally translated to abdomen or belly cutting. And so it, it was a form of Japanese ritual suicide and disembowelment. And it was originally reserved for the samurai, uh, but was also practiced by other Japanese people later on. And this was a means of restoring honor for themselves and their family when they had uh, failed in some way, shape, or form to fulfill on their duties. And because of that, they brought shame to their house, shame to their name, shame to their uh, to their master, to their families, whatever the case may be. And so, you know, this is just to give you some perspective. I know it's an extreme example, but it's to give you some perspective of how far and to what lengths we as human beings will go to avoid experiencing and feeling shame. I mean, we really, we really dislike shame. And so when shame is used and sort of weaponized against us socially, uh, whether we are in a group or in an individual experience, it will become the thing that we actively want to avoid. Uh, not only that, but it can actually uh, decrease and erode our sense of individuality. 
So, you know, in psychology, this is seen as like when we strengthen group boundaries, when we really, when we're a part of a, a group that has an ideology, whether it's a religious ideology or a social uh, justice ideology or um, a political ideology, when we strengthen those group boundaries, the act of othering or the act of, of you know, strengthening the, the identity of, of us as a group creates a very clear divide between us and the other person who stands against us. And this can lead to de-individuation. And all that that means is that it, it can lead to us breaking down some of our individual and identity-based aspects to our persona, to who we are. And this can create a situation where individuals within the group abandon their own moral compasses in favor of what the group wills and wants. And we can all think of examples throughout history to present times where groups behaved badly, believing that they had somehow uh, had the moral right or moral righteousness on their side. So why is this important? Well, you know, why am I talking about this? Well, first and foremost, shame it can be used against you. And shame is one of the single most, in my opinion, is one of the most single, uh, one of the single most effective tools for social manipulation. Because the, the challenge that we experience is that on one side, when we feel shame, if we've done something wrong publicly or socially, you know, maybe we made a post on Facebook that people disagree with, or, you know, we tweeted something out and all of a sudden we, you know, we get that response from someone, whether we know them or not, well, you know, maybe it's a complete stranger and they write back to us and they, you know, they sort of respond to us and they're shaming us for our belief or for our opinion or for whatever piece of social media we've put out or, you know, the, the perspective that maybe we've shared online, that shame is felt, right? You feel it internally. That shame is, is then going to dictate what type of content or what type of conversation or how you share your opinion, your perspective, your beliefs, next time you go to tweet, next time you go to, to use that, that platform, whatever platform it might be. And during this whole movement, uh, you know, with the pandemic happening and social distancing happening and all the arguments that were happening around, you know, wh whether, the, whether COVID's real or a hoax or whether you should social distance or not, or, you know, George Floyd's death and the racism that happened and Black Lives Matter movement and the, all of this, all of this stuff that is sort of tidal waved into our culture over the past few months has brought with it this this sort of disturbing rise, in my opinion, of social shaming, of looking at other people who maybe hold a different belief or perspective, uh, and, and rather than opening our hearts and minds to why they might think that, or rather than understanding their perspective so that we can engage in a formative form of discourse, the conversations seem to largely be devolving in, into, uh, into social shaming, into using social shame as a means of trying to manipulate and coerce the other party into believing what we believe. And now here's, here's the real thing that I want you all to know about this. 
One, social shaming doesn't really work. There are a few cases where it might be necessary, where, you know, institutions or really large companies are not really listening because there's sort of these um, analogous blobs of, of human beings sort of making decisions, uh, you know, backed by shareholders that really only care about making as much money as they humanly can. Um, that's again, that's a generalization. That's not always the case, but sometimes in those cases, social shaming is required from a space of trying to have the whole, that organization uh, sort of see their own responsibility and get them to take ownership, right? Like when a when an Exxon Mobil, you know, spills hundreds of millions of gallons of oil into the ocean, just destroying wildlife, and isn't taking responsibility for it, and won't take ownership for it, and and isn't making reparations for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we might need to enact a form of of social shaming so that action is taken so that, you know, they, they know very clearly that what they have done is wrong and that they need to, uh, they actually need to do something about it rather than sweep it under the corporate rug. But when it comes to individuals and groups and tribes and communities, social shaming historically has been one of the means of creating war has been one of the means of pitting tribes against one another. It, it has been the, the 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 tool or the weapon in the arsenal that people have used to incite war and violence and vitriol and to justify all types of horrendous and horrible behaviors. I mean, I don't even need to list them off because you know, hopefully, they are so apparent um, of the examples. So, so first and foremost, social shaming generally just doesn't work because we've all been in that situation, right? You put something out, whether it's online or in person, maybe it's in a meeting at work and you are shamed publicly. What happens? What happens internally? Well, first and foremost, a part of you feels that shame and, and codes it internally and, and sort of says, I never want to feel this again. So I'm going to do whatever I can to not experience it. Or there's a part of you that feels humiliated or embarrassed, maybe rejected, and a sense of righteous anger and resentment starts to brew within you. And so every time that there's a hint of social shaming, rather than hearing the other person, there's just a collapsing. There's a shutting down internally and, and within the heart, within your capacity to listen to another human being. And you are immediately on the defensive. And so social shaming from an individual standpoint largely does not produce the results that we want. But because of social media access and the, and the platforms that people have now, there is this idea that we should use social shaming as a means of trying to coerce and manipulate other people, individuals and people with platforms and people who have voices and, you know, uh, celebrities and organizations and companies, et cetera that we should use social shaming as a means to get them to do what we want. And it's another form of quelling freedom of speech, unfortunately. It is another form of telling a person you don't have the right to say what you want to say because you need to say it the way I want you to say it. You need to say it the way that, that the mass that I'm a part of or the group that I'm a part of wants you to say it. You have to act in this very specific way. And what's been interesting about these times is watching how many people are attacking people 
with platforms, even if they have very similar ideologies, right? Even if, I mean, the amount of infighting, the amount of infighting that I see happening within liberal conversations is disgusting. It is appalling. I mean, people should, people really should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> That's the irony of it, right? But when we, when we start to enact social shaming, here's the catch. We feel fantastic, right? People that use social shaming as a means of coercion and manipulation and getting what they want are often in the driver's seat of their ego, right? Because it feels great in the moment. There's a, a on uh, there's almost always a sense of moral righteousness of of sort of, and sometimes this is a spiritual or religious righteousness or a political righteousness that you are shaming somebody else for their belief. But what we know from a psychological standpoint. What we know from an emotional standpoint, what we know from a holistic, uh, spiritual standpoint, and what we know from a human standpoint, is that social shaming almost never works from an individual standpoint because that human being is hurt, right? When they are social shamed, they, they feel distraught in some way, shape, or form. And it's either going to cause them to just conform unknowingly, uh, but they're going to carry that pain and hurt into their conversations as they move forward, or they're going to shut down and create barricades and blocks. So the last thing that I want to say about this, and this is what I hope to leave you with, is the reminder that integrated healing, integrated uh, sense of wholeness, spiritually, intellectually, morally, philosophically, psychologically, any way that you really slice the pie, integrated healing will will never happen from a place of shaming, right? When when you think about how you learned as a child or a teenager or as an adult, when shame was a part of the equation, shame was part of what needed to be healed. So when we are actively and outwardly socially shaming other people, what we are effectively doing is taking our pain and passing it on. And we are effectively uh, allowing ourselves to take a position of moral superiority over another person. And that is what social shaming does. That's what shaming does. Even if it's within the context of our relationship, it puts us on the pedestal of superiority. And it says, my opinion, my perspective is better than yours. And it's not the fight that we want to fight. It's not how we will really progress as human beings, in my opinion, because historically, when shame is allowed to run rampant, when shame is used as a weapon, when shame is used to control and manipulate and coerce, it never, never ends well. And I cannot stress it enough. We need to stop using shame in our relationships at home. We need to stop using shame as a means of parenting. We need to stop using shame as a means of social conditioning and social coercion. And we need to stop socially shaming people. Full stop, period. If you disagree with people, have a conversation. If you feel like they don't get it, ask why. Lead with empathy. Execute with compassion. Seek to understand, like there are so many avenues that we can go down, but social shaming is not one of the things that we need right now in the world amidst 
all of the chaos that is happening. So this is my sort of plea, you know, using the platform that I have to just try and talk some sense into the people. <laughs> not that not that you, the listener, are are doing this. I'm not, I'm not definitely not accusing all of you or any of you or, of, of implementing social shame. But when you see it, you know, call it out. If you see yourself doing it, back off and ask why. You know, are you resorting to social shaming simply because you feel like you can't get through to someone? Are you resorting to social shaming because that's how you were? Uh, talked into the the belief or viewpoint that you're holding right now and, and defending, right? So just notice the place that social shaming has in your life and the role that shame has played in your life and and take a step back, right? We collectively need to take a step back from the ledge of of social shaming right now because it is not serving anyone. It's not furthering the conversation. If anything, it is it is systematically dismantling our ability to connect as human beings, right? It is systematically dismantling the, our ability to connect as human beings. I cannot stress it enough. So that's that's the episode for today. I highly encourage you and strongly suggest that you share this episode with as many people as you can if you found value in it, because we all could use a little reminder right now that social shaming in these really challenging, very volatile, very tumultuous and, and painful times has no place at the table. The last thing we need to be doing is slinging arrows into the hearts and minds of other people that we are trying to get through to, that we are trying to connect with, that we are trying to find ways uh, to evolve with together. And if we, as a, as a collective, cannot learn how to communicate and, and connect and have meaningful, progressive conversations, especially on the liberal side of the equation, we have lost the game of progress. We have lost the game of of evolution's uh, sort of requirement, and we are devolving and, and sort of eroding away our capacity to just have a grounded, open, meaningful, and useful conversations. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to rate and review. It goes a long way. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. And for all the men that are out there, don't forget to check out the Alliance uh, online on connorbeaton.com or mantox.com. Uh, and ladies, please share the Alliance with the men in your life. Uh, we've got over 225 men in there right now. Uh, and it's absolutely phenomenal. It's changing the lives of all the guys that are in there. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.